Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Silvatis podcast. I'm really excited today because I'm going to be talking to Alex Hayden, who's a graduate in osteopathy, and I'm really going to get her experience of what it's been like a year down the line, the bumps, the good stuff, and what she would have done differently, if anything. So thank you for, for joining me today, Alex. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on here after watching loads of your podcasts previously and stuff. So I'm really excited to chat. Oh, thanks. And I think one of the things that drew me to you, especially when, because we were both at BCom together, um, I think you were a couple of years below me. Was just a year below you guys yeah. but, um I mean who knows it was such a jumble of years that it's, it's hard to keep track of anyway so yeah and I remember one of the things that drew me to you was just you had a really good energy and <laughs> especially because I think you demoed for us once in one of our classes because you're a dancer by background mm. um can you tell me a bit more about that yeah, so I remember the class we're talking of because it was Lazarus doing a sort of performing arts class, what you can expect to see or to give you a deeper understanding of what a dancer does day to day. Um, but yeah, my background in dance was predominantly contemporary, which is a big word which defines nothing really. It's just so varied um, in that form. And I started a lot later than the average dancer would. Um, so I didn't do ballet when I was three or anything like that. I kind of was very athletic in primary school. And then I went to a performing arts secondary school, if you can call it that. And one of the teachers said, oh, you should go down the road to the place in Houston and do some dance classes. Um, me and my mum didn't know what we were doing. And she ended up signing me up for this like, vocational scheme basically to set you up to be a professional dancer um, so it kind of like went from zero to 100 really really quickly um, but I think in my personality anyway I just kind of go ahead like straight first into things and it was really intense I did that along school and then um, yeah I did the National Youth Dance Company as well and throughout this time it was not an easy journey per se, but it taught me a lot of lessons to do with discipline and self-worth and self-value and yeah, generally self-expression as well. Um, yeah, didn't come up with um, without the hard parts to that, but um, yeah, I miss it a lot, but um, yeah. I don't, can't think of much more to add. Yeah, I, I did start a degree in contemporary dance as well at the same institution. And during that time, I got an injury and I had a lot of time to self-reflect and I had an amazing osteopath kind of assist me throughout my time there. And, uh, and then I made the change to go to BCom and study osteopathy. So yeah, that's a brief, brief roundup of that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Likewise, I danced when I was a child, but I didn't go into like a specialist school. It sounds like you went oh, to like cool. the fame school of dance or something. <laughs> like everyone's wearing leg warmers or something. Yeah, 
yeah and a bit more chilled than that but no it definitely sounds like that to most people and it definitely was intense um but yeah <laughs> and so is that the turning point where you thought you know you've had this injury you've you know been treated by an osteopath and you've had this time to reflect was that the main turning point where you decided to to study osteopathy partially there there were a few things before that that made me need to take a step back so some health issues um when I was 16 17 that basically I was in a, a physical state where if I didn't get better I would never be able to dance and my osteopath helped me through that as well and uh, I got better luckily and then I maybe due to that I was slightly weaker anyway which predisposed me to the knee injury that I got and not that the knee injury was going to be limiting me forever but just having that time out I thought about my background um like my socioeconomic background the fact that my mum was a single mum and what did I really want for in my life um I think I wanted more stability than dance and performing could offer me as well as the kind of mental knockbacks you would get so regularly I don't think I had the right personality to deal with that on such a regular basis and so yeah the injury was like the final <laughs> the final straw and made me yeah, come to terms with the change that I needed to make yeah because I almost think about dancers being athletes on the same level because you go through the same physical conditions you've got the same psychological and mental sort of I don't say blocks, but the same processes that athletes go into when they compete for you. It's a show for her, for example. And so I always think of them akin. And I think that's from conversations, you know, having, well, when I was a dancer back in the day um, and, you know, conversations have like listening to like Lazarus talk and things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, I, like you, kind of think of them on the same um, plain and it's different in that for a dancer you're not you're repeating the same kind of piece maybe dance piece um, over and over again but you're expected to be so much more dynamic than like a, a an athlete who does a certain um, track or field you know um, sport or or whatnot but um yeah, no, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, I basically I agree with you. I think in terms of my mentality now, I definitely think elite kind of athletic performance should encompass both sport athletes and um, high demand physical beings like dancers or circus performers and stuff like that. So, yeah. And that was quite novel. Did you always have like osteopaths in your schools or in your companies yeah I mean I'd never heard of an osteopath until I went to this institution and the process of getting in kind of like a, a footballer would at going to a new football club you have a triage or a screening where they do a, a really long physical assessment they get you to do lots of different things that you wouldn't think you need to do for dance maybe um body composition type assessments and analyses and I remember the osteopath saying to me you're really not in a physical condition to like excel at this 
as quickly as you need to compared to other people in your age group because as I said I started a bit later and uh, that really motivated me to work really hard and train really hard um, but yeah it's it, it was an interesting experience having an osteopath there throughout the ages of 13 to uh, 20 I guess um, and I'm so grateful because a lot of people I know who went to different institutions didn't have that luxury um yeah it was a pain in the ass booking an appointment with them because they were so in demand um but no they were amazing yeah and that's such a it sounds like it's such a progression from when I was in a dance company like we didn't have any physical therapy like we got injured and as you do with any type of dance you get injured left right and center and you come to expect it but you just sort of either you dance through it which is not always the best thing to do (laughs) or you just get on with it and just treat yourself and 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 sort of manage and you just get to the next rehearsal and just try your best because that's what you have to do exactly Um, but I think that speaks to the tenacity of of who you are as a person because I imagine if someone told me you know you don't have the same I can't remember what the words you used were but like you know you don't have the same level as the people you know you're in, in 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 the same class with it would just break me so the fact that you thought okay well this is going to motivate me to work even harder that's huge (laughs) I yeah I I don't know why I was like that I feel like maybe it was my upbringing um my mum was never kind of molly coddling of me or saying oh that was amazing well done it was very much like let's be real that's not good enough and this needs to change but it was never a personal thing it's just um these as long as your goals are outlined I think then you can take the criticism and move forward with it whereas if there's no um, foresight into what can happen or what you can change then um, you can't help but take it personally so yeah (laughs) yeah have you ever watched Dance Mums? I think I've seen someone called Jojo Siwa, maybe. Yeah, so she was it. on it. Yeah. Um, but um, like the, the head coach or, or the choreographer is Abby Lee Miller, who's this like okay. militant, strict, <laughs> screams at you kind of thing. And so I'm hoping she was a very softened, your mom was a very softened version of that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'll have to check her out on YouTube or something, but... Yeah, contrary to popular belief, I hate watching dance TV shows. Like Strictly is my worst nightmare. And I'm not a ballroom dancer, of course. But yeah, I just hate seeing things done badly. Or like bad technique is like still a bugbear of mine. (laughs) So how does that translate then into osteopathy? Because you've got all this body awareness and how your own body moves. So how do you translate that to your work definitely still a learn learning progress um but i remember lazarus constantly saying it's a dance like when you're moving the patient you're moving with them you're not just picking up a limb and moving it around you're um you're flowing with them and there's a lot of give and take and yeah utilizing your center of gravity and able to assist you and really take your time and think about the rhythm that you do things uh in I think maybe you spoke about this similarly with um Taylor was it Taylor who you Mm -hmm. had on the podcast previously I found that conversation really um 
interesting because it brought up so so many thoughts for me as well um but I I think I came at it not I think I tried to come at it from a dance perspective but was constantly like just trying to understand the anatomy and that was like a block and um only now when I start to play around with the techniques and morph them into something else do I think I'm dancing more with it uh, if that makes sense absolutely and I think for a lot of people that can when somebody tells you you have to think about the rhythm of your treatment or the way you move a person's limb or or anything it can feel really disjointed for some people especially if they haven't come from that kind of background where it's not second nature where they're not grounded in themselves before they start approaching anything Mm. um in terms of musicality which is a word that i still don't know how to define um, I was always really bad at that, to be honest. We'd do so many classes where there was a rhythm, so either a two or a three, which I don't know if saying that makes any sense to you. It's like a one, two, three, one, two, three. And doing all of that, we'd have to do physical movements to correspond with a rhythm. I was always awful at it. Um, but I think because there's no music to work with in osteopathy it's harder because you've got to find this internal rhythm that either exists or it doesn't and so I find it amazing that people who don't come from a background in music or physical performance can make it look so effortless without having a background like that so it makes me look at other practitioners and think wow you do that so smoothly and um it looks relaxing just watching watching it yeah and that reminds me of when I was in clinic um as a student and there was one of my colleagues um Marcelo who had done a lot of capoeira before and Mm. I remember watching his treatment thinking that just flows Mm. and it's such a testament to his background I know it's Capoeira's, I mean, I'm not going to butcher the, the definition of it because I will get lots of, lots of comments afterwards. Like, that's not what it is. Um, but it, like, it, it, it's such a testament to his background. And you can, you can certainly see that because I had been out of the dance world for, for, for many, many years at that point when I was at BCOM. So I didn't have that flow or that rhythm that you talked about. I, I could recognize it, but me mm. counting just gives me PTSD of ballet and being at the bar. And it's like, <laughs> your chest, tuck your bum. Like, you know, it's just, that's just jarring for me. Um, but I didn't have that inherent musicality in my treatment. And I think that was because I thought about everything so much that I was overthinking whilst I was treating to the point where I wasn't even listening to the body in front of me especially when you're a student I mean hopefully that's changed yeah but I mean even with me one of the things that um I'd written down to talk about with you about was how when we were in um BCom clinic before graduating and even in my first year giving everything to someone and when I look back I I gesture with it like this as if it's aggressive just kind of like giving everything you've got to a treatment rather than actually taking a step back slowing everything down and doing maybe four things in that treatment at a pace that's more therapeutic where you're actually actually palpating and noticing change rather than 
just doing it for the sake of you want to get as much you want the, the patient to get as much value for money as possible almost but actually they're not if you're just kind of um yeah going with the technique rather than a treatment process so um yeah and has that how has that evolved for you from being at a student clinic to graduating and I want to talk a bit about a bit more about that later because you graduated at the worst of times it was <laughs> it was not a fun time to graduate but oh god <laughs> how has that sort of translated to you know because when you were in clinic at least in your last year it was the height of the pandemic you weren't really mm. seeing that many patients I imagine if at all and so how has how have you been able to acquire that through that process and then having graduated because you're what a year on now from graduating um to be honest it changes all the time every time I sit to reflect um it, it's interesting whenever I sit to reflect my mind goes blank but it's in those moments kind of after a treatment that's gone how you wanted it to that I think that's what I wish I could do with everyone or that's how I was that's how I wish I could be all of the time um but initially graduating I think like you said things were very quiet it was the height of uh, the pandemic basically kind of in the summer I started working so things had eased off and little did we know they were going to plummet straight back down again during the winter um so numbers were very inconsistent and it was hard to develop a method of practice that was working but but at the same time it afforded me the time to reflect so not all bad um but I definitely for the first six months I would say was just kind of giving everything that I thought my particular diagnosis needed in terms of my treatment and people were getting better but I don't know how I would phrase it. I wasn't seeing as many people return as I needed to, to also make financial like earning. And I was speaking to a colleague about it saying, you know, people are getting better. So I know that I'm doing something good, which is great. But at the same time, my list is constantly um, fluctuating so much and I need something more consistent. And he was like, uh, well, what are you doing in the average treatment? How many um, different techniques are you doing how long do you spend um, articulating a certain area or doing um, what you need to achieve your goal and I was like oh <laughs> I'd completely forgotten to think like that and I was so concerned with making the patient happy in my mind that I wasn't thinking about what their body needed um, and yeah, so only recently have I really been slowing it down and noticing that maybe it takes a longer for people to get better. So maybe one or two extra treatments. I'm still achieving everything I need to, but their body isn't um, being bombarded with so much stimulus, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I think also relevant to COVID, I don't know if you experienced it as well, but those first kind of six months of me being out, I noticed lots of treatment reactions or just sensitivity or people who were really highly strung about various things in life at that point. And 
it wasn't until again six months down the line I said oh everything they said at college about treating the body as a whole and the mind and the body was starting to make sense like treating that person um, as a whole encompassing person was starting to really click um yeah rather than as a body for me to move around um yeah so it's starting to get to get somewhere starting to make sense slowly slowly <laughs> and that's the thing it's that process you just have to trust in and sometimes it's really hard to do that as a student because mm. you know you've got so many deadlines and dissertation and clinic and and life outside of of, of college and university to try and I don't know, patched together because you end up ignoring <laughs> half your friends because if they're not a BCom, you don't see them. Um, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it is trusting that process and just being able to not give in to it, but know that things align as they develop. Mm-hmm. And I had a tough time and it only took me, I'd say until summer clinic to figure that out or for it to sort of really, for the penny to drop. Um, mm. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm just going to let go of all my neurotic you know tendencies <laughs> just go with it and what happens happens and, and like you said like it's and what you say reminds me of something that um Adam Williams used to tell me and I don't know if you ever had him in clinic but he was such a calming influence like I was a I was a mess in clinic I'm not gonna Aww. lie like I was really anxious I don't I could- know I feel like I observed you one time and you weren't like that at all you were really kind of calm and calculated and methodical oh, so thanks. maybe you felt like that internally but it wasn't being communicated outwards. I can fake it really well um, <laughs> but I remember he was I remember I had him for a block of sessions and as a tutor and he said just do three things and it's similar to what you said mm. you know, he says do three things but do them really well because I was in a similar way, I was throwing every single technique I knew for whatever condition I thought they had at them in the hopes that something would work. And then you mm. don't really know which one worked <laughs> as a result. So you're like, yeah, you're better, but I have no idea what I did. Yeah, what did it do? Was it just time? Was it that thing that I did? Or was it, I don't know, stress just reduced? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And earlier you talk about sort of that energy and you sort of you know, you, you gestured with your hands like this. It was, it was almost like a give and take almost of this energetic um, transference. And that's something that I definitely talk about in psychology, um, but as a, as a, on a therapeutic level, but never on a, no, not never, but not on a therapist, patient sort of transfer of energy in terms of what am I giving you and what are you giving me back? Mm. Have you thought about that or has that come to you when you're treating Yes. And I remember it was a patient of mine at BCom who, she was a, a junior doctor, I think. And we were exchanging patient stories in terms of like, I don't know, the types of things people say to you and how it can take you by surprise or whatnot. And she was like, have you ever heard of energy vampires? And I was like, this is a a strong term that I've not heard of before. She was like, yeah, it's it's someone that you give so much to, but doesn't really give anything back. And you're feeling more and more drained as you engage with them. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, I 
I don't know if it's a term I would use, but uh, no, there are definitely times where say I'm having a rough day and I'm like, oh, don't really want to see anyone today. I'm feeling really antisocial, but I've got to work. And my day can change just by the way that I interact with a patient or how they interact with me. Um, when there's a good chemistry or dynamic, it's really energizing. Um, but there are definitely times, especially during the pandemic, unfortunately, some people I've seen have lost loved ones due to COVID and for other reasons, or they're having a difficult time generally. Um, it can be hard to, to, I mean, you're listening, or hopefully listening, um, but to take on board so much emotion from someone sometimes. Um, I don't know if you equip yourself with like certain <laughs> things in place to help you not take it on board so much but I'm yeah sometimes I struggle to set a boundary or take some things away home with me and not let it dwell with me right into the deep of the night but um, yeah no I definitely find that I reflect on a patient a patient practitioner relationship but I'm not quite sure what what it is it's ever changing so um yeah if you have any tips that'd be great <laughs> and you're, you're absolutely right it changes so much and it changes from patient to patient and it also changes within you you know depending on how you're feeling how much you've slept or what you've eaten mm. the day before all that kind of stuff and I remember Louise Carruthers um telling because I, I took this to her I was like you know I'm, I'm not feeling great after I treat a certain patient or a certain type of patient and she was mm. like you have to energetically just wash it off and so she would she suggested like physically making sure you wash your hands with cold water mm. after you treat and I've I've done that since yeah that's um, really interesting you say that because I I did have a patient similarly who um, he'd gone through some really awful things this year and he wasn't, you could tell he was putting on a brave face, but everything that I asked, unfortunately, seemed to go back to something unfortunate that happened. Um, and after every time I saw him, I would always just wash my hands so much for a really long time. It was like a meditation almost. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't because I had any kind of disliking towards him or whatever. It was just like, wow I need to cleanse my mind after that kind of emotional roller coaster um yeah because you're in there for a long time but <laughs> depending as well on how long you treat for but either way half an hour up to an hour it can still feel like the time is never gonna end <laughs> absolutely and it reminds me of something that Lazarus used to say it's, it's you know you're touching a patient but the patient touches you in return and so for me, that means that there has to be this transference of energy. It's not just a one-way thing. Yeah. And for me, I think because I came from a psychology background and therapy background, I was differently equipped at compartmentalizing. So there would be times, yes, we would all, you know, think about patients when we went home and like look up stuff. And then you do that naturally as a student. And I learned early on to once I've left clinic, I've left clinic. It's not to say that I don't do my research and look up conditions, but I don't over-ruminate about a patient because that doesn't give you the recovery afterwards. 
Yeah. And let's be honest, no one taught us how to really take care of ourselves. <laughs> it's not something that's embedded in the curriculum, for example. And no, and I think it's different on each individual. So if you asked each tutor that was with you, how do you take care of yourself? I'm sure they'd all say completely different things. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a hard one to teach. And I think generally there are so many things that I wish I'd known that even when we were there, we must have asked tutors various things. And they were like, you'll learn it, don't worry. And I think in my mind, I was like, oh, I'll learn it in like the following year whilst I'm still here. But no, it's like you, you learn it with experience and through going through these things that um, inform you about it. And I hate it when somebody said that to me. It's like, <laughs> you know, it'll come. I'm like, no, no, no. It needs to come now. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, When's please. it coming? Because I'm, I'm <laughs> the deadline here. <laughs> no, I remember those moments for sure. Or like... Uh, one tutor I wanted to understand more pathological conditions and one was like but why you've got so much time and I was like yeah but my brain is is craving it now I need this knowledge and it's like you can't kind of like with back going back to the technique thing build your strong foundation now and get good at these things otherwise if you you expand your um, repertoire and you're mediocre at all of them or have a mediocre understanding of all of them it's not going to serve anyone too well so yeah both frustrating and I understand it now I'm on the other side <laughs> and definitely for me you know coming in as a tutor now and that's what I want to talk to you about as well um, you know I was that person in the front row asking questions like constant one after the other after the other if I wasn't getting something I'd really make sure I hammered it down and being on the other side I can see like whoa you just need to you need to just chill mm. just, and there were so many things I wish I could go back and tell myself as a student I'm wondering if there's anything that you would go back and either do differently or tell yourself to do oh, I completely get what you were talking about though as another tutor and seeing seeing kind of yourself in some students now and thinking like you're going at it so intensely just slow down and be patient I think yeah patience is um the thing that I would tell myself it will come with time and I'm sure there were people that did tell me and it just really frustrated me but um yeah you know what talking about this reminds me of when I was in second or third year, I took up a new hobby. And uh, it took me months and months, if not over a year, to actually develop the skill level that was required to be good at it. And it's kind of like any new thing, it takes time to refine and practice and uh, get good at something. And it's, just, it's frustrating, obviously, but if you don't, um, if you're cutting your journey short by any means, you're not going to enjoy the journey or you're not going to have gone the whole journey. So just kind of enjoying the pace of it while it lasts rather than trying to kind of, um, yeah, take too many steps forward, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. And none more so than in your final year, because you, like I said, you've got so many pressures, so many deadlines, you know, you've got FCC is coming up. It's the be on and end all. It's literally the culmination of the whole four years of what you've been working towards. And I remember one of my friends um, who was also an osteopath, Cami, telling me just like, just enjoy fourth year. Like, don't hate it. I know <laughs> that we seemed were... impossible at the time, though. <laughs> it did. And it did. Because we we're all burnt out, we we're all tired and hungry and sleep deprived. But I remember having that conversation with her, not just once, it took a couple of conversations, a um, couple of conversations like that, because, you know, it takes a while for things to really get into me. Um, but I remember just being able to sit back and almost not completely detach myself from the process, but just sit back and reflect and be like, actually, I'm exposed to so many different types of tutors. I'm never going to have this exposure anywhere. And if I can tap into what I like about each of these tutors and just steal it, because let's be honest, you take the things that you like and maybe harness that or remember that way of thinking or that approach. Like, when are you ever going to be stimulated like that? And it's similar to what you were saying before about, you know, you wanted more knowledge and you wanted to expand this really strong foundation. And I found that when you're a student, at least for me, when you're being stimulated on a daily basis, you're more prone to then learn more and go off and do more stuff. Whereas for me now, having graduated a couple of years ago, like I'm only doing CPD and very niche things that I'm interested. Mm. Uh, how has that been for you? Yeah, I think um, in terms of, yeah, just enjoying the journey, like going back to what you said, it's such a privilege to actually be in that, educational institution where you're safe and your responsibilities are slightly less than if you were working full-time and you'll never have that time again um and so you really should just take the time to look around and see what you need to take from each tutor before you go um but yeah I mean my CPD since leaving has been really random to be honest it's been so scattered I'm not quite sure what I want to do. I think I took enough from each tutor that I had a connection with, but because I had a real interest in how they um, communicated their specialism or whatever, it's confused me more because now I'm like, oh, they're all so cool. What do I choose to do? Do I do I go headfirst into a postgrad like masters and you know spend a lot of money on this one thing or do I do bits here and there of different things and have a more rounded way of practice and I think that's the way I'll probably end up going down um so but yeah no it is I mean it's great to have people that have a uh, a kind of uni uni-focused um, interest in something specific. Uh, but I think my brain is too frazzled to, to pay attention to just one thing now. <laughs> Absolutely. And I had like these grand visions of doing another master's afterwards. And I was so burnt. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to think about this for now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not that important. Like it'll happen when it happens. And, and like you said, it is a privilege because there's such a financial burden to doing something like this, because often with the course that we kind of that we do, it's so full on and it's it's not even I, I wouldn't even consider it just a full time. It's like full time on top of that, because 
a lot of us had part-time jobs and you know we're working around bcom hours and things like that so to make it work and then get the grades that you needed to get as well it certainly wasn't easy so mm. it's definitely a it, you, you, it's definitely a privileged point of view to be able to do that and succeed successfully and that's suddenly reflected not just by you but in other people and graduates that I've talked to and they always say that it's been a privilege to be able to do and study what they did absolutely mm. yeah i mean to have those kind of safe boundaries really even just knowing that if something went wrong in college clinic it's under your tutor's insurance not that it ever would get that far but it's like okay there's a safety net here whereas you're seen as competent when you've done your FCC and you've passed it and whatnot and you're an adult and yeah now you've got to be held responsible and accountable for the clinical decisions you make and they have quite yeah strong repercussions if you know something were to go wrong but um no it's definitely it's one thing starting the course and then when you get to that point coming to the end and you start to realize oh shit now now it's getting serious um yeah I think a different sort of pressure takes over at least for me it did I was like I got here way too quickly like this was way quicker than I expected and uh yeah it reminded me of when I was dancing um at the institution and I think when I took the time out I realized again it's a privilege to dance every day in this gorgeous studio with live musicians every single day this isn't real life for dancers when they leave half of them are doing jobs in hospitality just to make things work finding rehearsal space rehearsal time it's it's really hard to logistically organize life anyway um so taking the time to really cherish the educational confines you're in um i mean it's easier said than done but definitely important to do when you're out and away from it um yeah i almost think about it like it's like once you've done your fcc is like you're just pushed out the nest it's like now go fly <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, do something. You're like, exactly. No, but I'm still technically a student. What do you want me to do? Or before your FCCs, when you know you're in your clinic groups or whatever, and the tutor is working with an individual who needs more support than say you did. And you're like, no, but I still feel like I really need you there. Like, don't abandon me. And I'm like, yeah, but you're fine. You'll you'll be fine. I need to pay attention to this person. You're like ah. <laughs> internally panicking. Absolutely. And now you're on the other side. So you're now a tutor. Tell me about what motivated you to go into that and, and what you tutor in as well. So I tutor in osteopathic technique for first and second years. And I this year started doing soft tissue techniques for yeah first and second years as well. The soft tissue is definitely the harder of the two for me because it's not where I, it's not it's not my um method of choice in practice I mean I used soft tissue techniques don't get me wrong but um I try to manipulate soft tissue whilst doing my osteopathic manipulative techniques um so that's 
really great going back to that and learning um, and practicing again these techniques again and using them in practice so initially after I'd done my FCC um, Minaj asked if we could have a chat and he said I think you'd fit in really well coming back as a tutor and initially I was like yes and then I got a job that I hadn't heard from them in a while and I was desperate to get a job and desperate to get money and it ended up not working out for that reason and then uh, I ended up leaving that job that I was at and thinking actually it'd be really nice because in that job I was working by myself in a room like for 12 hours a day and I'm not someone that needs to have other people around necessarily, but I like to bounce ideas off of other people. And I thought this could actually be really valuable for me to go back with the people that taught me and be able to talk to them on another level now, because I've never asked how they thought my FCC was, <laughs> but I'm like, it must be, it must have gone okay for me to be back here, right? Um, and yeah, take things from them that they wouldn't necessarily have said whilst you were still a student offering a different kind of advice and being realistic about the profession um because you've by this point kind of seen some of the scarier sides of it um so it's not as much of a shock and it won't deter you because you've already made the commitment um but yeah motive i don't know if i was ever like I don't know if motive, motivate is probably the right word, but I, did, I didn't go into it with a, a bucket load of confidence. I was taking it as a second opportunity to be a student in a way, if that makes sense. And I, I hope that doesn't sound really bad, but just sitting there as a fly on the wall and then pitching in every now and then or demonstrating um, a technique or method of assessment has second nature now so it's not so much of a struggle but having the patience to to go back and to listen and to learn again is definitely um eye-opening but I wouldn't say I was like super motivated to do it it just kind of it, it was offered it happened and it luckily has worked out and I've taken on um extra modules and I've taken on another day there but um, yeah, I take it as an extra learning opportunity, really. Um, and the students, as you know, throw out questions that you're like, huh, I'm going to need to think about that for a while. Or, and you know, you were one of those students too. And you're like, damn you making me think so much. Um, but yeah, I think the motivation will come when I'm more confident in my identity as a tutor, because that's still a bit of a... Um, a hard thing to come to terms with almost it doesn't seem quite right or quite real in a way absolutely and for me I relate to that so much because I definitely had that imposter syndrome sort of feeling going on especially especially in that first year when I came back and they you know they asked me if I would teach psychology I was like yeah I mean I'd love to this is gonna be great and then I was teaching I don't think I taught your year it was the year below you and I thought these people know me when I was a student. Mm. This is a really, it's a really interesting dynamic. Like, am I going to be taken seriously? 
you know, am I and am I am I going to be able to deliver at the level that they want me to? Um, so I definitely felt all the same things that you were feeling, and especially in terms of OT, I really just sat back and watched a lot, and I thought, oh, I forgot about that technique. Like mm-hmm. I can definitely do yeah. it, but it's not something that's in my daily repertoire that I just pull out really quickly. And so for me, it was almost like going back. To, to uni again yeah no for sure it's nice to hear that you've had that experience as okay. well um because like oh yeah no I find myself doing that now or like it won't be every day but I'll I'll see something and think oh yeah no it's a nice easy technique and I'll go back to doing that and not overcomplicate things so much um yeah there's real value to to using the foundational techniques and methods of assessment for sure um yeah do you find yourself channeling things that other tutors have told you when you're a student because I definitely do that yeah like there were some things that I remember being taught by by uh, Matt Moizak I don't know if he was around when you were when you were a student you know just the way he held himself and his posture and I and I remember suggesting a different way of you know, standing with a student, I was like, that's a mad thing. And it just shocked me. I was like, whoa. (laughs) No, for sure. I mean, and I think I, I mean, they, the current students wouldn't know Matt. I only, I had him maybe as an assistant in soft tissue. You guys had him for more than that. Um, So I, I kind of know of him rather than know him. Um, But with the current students, I do refer to like Critica or Savash, like anyone who's still there that they would know of. I'm like they give me gave me a really good piece of advice. Here it is. Like, I mean, use it if you want to. You don't have to, but I personally found it kind of just opened my my eyes and um, just yeah, completely changed how I did something basically. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think it's nice to pass on that knowledge. And I think the other day I said in Savash's class, oh, Savash told our year to compile um, regional kind of notebooks for each area of the body, do arthrology, anatomy, pathology, diagnosis. And he said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then, and then regurgitated the advice. And I think, well, it's good that I'm reminding you of your wise advice in a way. So it doesn't get lost almost because it's so valuable. Um, so yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, and just watching people like Savash and, and Kritika and Lazarus and Manoj, like it's like sitting in a masterclass. I just sit back and I enjoy it. I just sit there yeah. and I'm like, give me some popcorn. I'll take the notes, but we're good. Like, this is just a pure joy to be able to watch them and know how easy they make it look. Because mm-hmm. when I'm up there and I'm trying to, you know, perform or, 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 or showcase a technique, I'm thinking of a hundred million things that I need to say and all the contraindications and all that <laughs> stuff and hoping it comes out coherent enough that they actually follow along. Um, so they definitely make it look way easier than it is. The finesse is real. Um, I, yeah, I mean, when I was demonstrating a technique to a first year last year, I mean, they made it, it made it out to be something quite spectacular, which to me, it was just like, no, like, 
I don't think I'm very fancy with it at all. You just kind of get used to it and you take for granted the skill level that you've gained over the four years. And when you go back to year one, especially, you're like, this is what square one looks like. I was here once upon a time and it seems so far away now. And my God, you look at your old tutors and think you've been doing this for 20 years, the same boring first year class for 20 years I don't know how you deliver it with humor um with energy it's just yeah it's given me a huge a huge level of appreciation for what they do um because I don't think I could do it (laughs) well I never did first year so I can't even relate to that at all but and even (laughs) second year you know it's still challenging enough for me and some of the questions I got are definitely coming from a place where I wouldn't even have considered Mm. Um, and then that makes me go back and look things up and be like oh okay yeah that makes sense and okay let's try it that way yeah Um, but also in a way just being able to pass on something down to the next sort of generation it feels hugely gratifying Mm, and like hopefully you know they'll do the same with the next person that they treat or the next people they encounter and and it's almost like okay this is a circle of life kind of thing yeah it's hard though because with COVID and everything they've had to be in bubbles or they don't have um the space necessarily to practice or they have to have supervision or yeah it just seems like you have to jump through more loopholes to actually have the time and um, place to practice now which I mean is another thing that maybe I definitely took for granted just having that easy access and practicing at eight in the morning before your nine o'clock class and they can't do that anymore and um so yeah, hopefully it does get passed on. Um, and I think it does. They, especially in the second year, they've earned a level of competence now and they're really starting to realize that they can form an artistry. Like, I don't know what your class with them is like, because obviously we teach the same year, the same class on different days, but the class isn't like you do this technique, it's modifying everything that they learned before and they're like what on earth is going on um so yeah it's it's now opening their eyes to yeah well we we told you all of that before but let's you know break it down and make it work for you in a different way um which is really exciting to see um because you've built up a foundation and you're slowly morphing it into something that makes their practice their own because we're all so different as practitioners um and you forget how early that actually starts to develop yeah I always think of it as like lego pieces like you know especially in that first year you're all you've all got this like base level and now we're just adding lego pieces or taking it out and putting it somewhere else and it's not to say that a different technique is better or worse it's just different Mm. and it's just another tool in your tool belt so don't get freaked out by this new technique and that you're not mastering it in the first 10 minutes that you've ever done it. Just remember it so that maybe with a certain patient, you'll be like, oh, maybe I should try it this way. Yeah. 
sure. And I'm so glad you talked about, you know, going in at eight o'clock to practice because I feel like that validates what I'm telling them as well, because I'm like, you know what? We used to come in an hour before school start and classes started to practice. And they look at me like, yeah, no, you didn't. So the, I hope they listen to this and I hope they know that it wasn't just me, that it actually was a thing because the amount of hours that you put in is extraordinary. And the amount sure. of hours that you have to put in. I mean, I remember you and I think Cammy had come in to do, literally, you were in fourth year and you came and joined the third year classes just to get more practice in during the hours that you were already at BCOM. So, I mean, you can't get more committed than that, really. I mean, um, but that was great in itself as well for me, because it was like, oh, Silver's here and he can help us you know modify in a different way with his now like level of experience and um COVID has definitely disrupted the relationships between the year groups um so they are looking back it's like that was actually really cool to be able to have relationships with each other um back then <laughs> absolutely because there was there was so many things that I used to ask like the the, the students in the further up years about and be like okay how do you do this and how do you test an SIJ in this position and they'd be like just get on a plant and I'll show you and it was so seamless and so easy to ask things like that that it wasn't mm. and it was more this let's just share information and that's what I really love and that's what the for me the ethos of BCom was it was this let's we're all in this together you know yeah. let's just share <laughs> all this information because just because one person elevates doesn't mean somebody else has to, you know, not it's yeah. rise at the same level. Yeah, I think that's why having such a strong or developing a strong network of friends there was so important. And I find myself saying to them as well, you know, you guys are all going to have different interests, but you've got to use that to your advantage and meet in the middle and share ideas and talk about each other's strengths because that will yeah bring everyone up um for sure but I don't know if if they do hopefully they do uh, it's not too late but yeah it's definitely something that I I miss because at the moment your your diary clashes with whoever's in the same kind of clinic with you and it's hard to find the time to actually catch up with each other so I miss those those opportunities. Absolutely. And so thinking, reflecting over the last year, has, you know, your first year po like graduating, how is it measured up to what you're expecting it to be? <laughs> I think uh, it might sound really bleak. I thought I would be more satisfied, if that makes sense. I thought that I changed my kind of career choice and I thought this job was going to be super consistent. My list was going to be consistent. Um, I would be more fulfilled in life. And I definitely am more fulfilled, but I don't feel fully fulfilled. And I think that's because I saw, or at least saw so many people so passionate about osteopathy. And that's great. But I'm one of those people, again, comes back to my frazzled mind, where I can only pay attention to something for X amount of time. And then my brain starts wandering off. And I think for the work day, at least, I'm like, oh, that's knackering. I want to go and do something creative. Like every other aspect of my life cannot 
under any circumstances be related to osteopathy I refuse <laughs> um and it's not because I don't like my job I do like my job it's just I need that time away almost to appreciate it more um yeah if that makes sense but in other ways I think in terms of treating patients my expectations were <laughs> everyone's gonna get on so well I'm gonna get on with every patient every technique's gonna work no one's gonna have a treatment reaction it was just this thing that you warned your patient about to be on the safe side no <laughs> like I had so many treatment reactions in the first six months and some of them were kind of irreparable not physically but like the relationship the trust almost the patient was like oh this is so bad I thought um I thought you were gonna do something different or something better I don't know um but otherwise some people were like I guess it does get worse before it gets better this is okay um I trust you and I trust your process and in another way some tech techniques i.e HVTs cavitating or cavitating um I think I I had this vision that once you knew the technique it would always cavitate and your tutor said the cavitation is not the important part but everyone secretly knows you're dying to hear that pop right even the patients um and sometimes What's reassuring is that I'll see the same person for different treatments. Sometimes it goes, sometimes it doesn't. And I always think, okay, clearly didn't necessarily need it. Or we got the movement in there and it's absolutely fine. And I think in the first six months, I was definitely petrified because I was like, am I suddenly getting worse <laughs> at the techniques? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think slowly, with confidence growing and realizing that that's just all natural in terms of coming out of school and just just seeing a different demographic things are going to be so different um yeah if that makes any sense absolutely and so is there anything i wonder that you would have liked to have known or wish you knew when you graduated reflecting back yeah but also I'm not sure my graduation period could have been better advised because we were going into the pandemic <laughs> um so in a way no one knew how to prepare for that and no one could predict how it was going to influence working in our field um but I think the things that I wish that I knew were that not every practice that you applied to work at or were work going to work in would be the right one for you um I think we all just assumed we saw a job that looked very convenient and nice we applied hopefully we got the job and if we did it would be like rainbows and you know sunshine and it's not realistically like that all the time um so that was definitely a shock but a very valuable learning experience to go through and then that not all osteopaths have the same goals and that's not I don't want to sound pessimistic or cynical um but 
different generations of osteopaths have different, completely different ways of working. And some people like their clinics to treat in a certain way and others really nourish and nurture the fact that all their associates are different in style. Um, yeah, I think I just, even though I had, I was doing part-time work during my studies at a clinic that I work in now, I thought I had an idea of what it was like, but actually that place is quite unique. Um, and you're hearing about other experiences and having other experiences myself, I realized, oh yeah, not every clinic's like this one that I know of, um, which is a great thing, but also I now, yeah, I now know what works for me, which is this place, but it's not gonna be uniform in the field. So yeah, I wish maybe, I've known that before, but again, I don't know if you can really reflect that. Absolutely. I think that's such a strong message, especially as a graduate, you know, you're looking for the first available job because you've got bills to pay. You want to justify the last four years as well. <laughs> and sometimes the first job or the first couple of jobs you have don't work for whatever reason. And, and, and I think we need to normalize that because there are so many people that I graduated with that had the same experience. You know, first job didn't work out. They learned something, they moved on from that. And so it's not that you've failed. It's just that wasn't the right fit for you at that time. Mm. And I think nobody told me that when I was like, at least in my final year or anything like that. Nobody told me that it's okay to leave a job yeah definitely I think yeah you're just kind of expected and people are anticipating you to get in somewhere and just flourish you've you've been equipped with all the tools now you go and make it work but actually it's not that there's anything necessarily going wrong or bad at this particular clinic it's just there's something that doesn't fit. It doesn't feel like you're doing your absolute best there or you're, you're absolutely happy. Um, and I think it took some courage to leave, especially because people were saying, oh, it's crazy, you know, it's during the pandemic, <laughs> you're leaving a job, are you mad? And I'm just like, well, in the long run. And now looking back, I think, God knows what I would have been like if I'd stayed. And how would that have informed my treatments with patients? And yeah, I, I'm glad I took that step, but I hadn't heard of anyone doing that. I hadn't heard of anyone leaving somewhere after being there for three months. So I felt like an anomaly and I felt like a failure, but it's reassuring to hear that <laughs> it wasn't just me. Um, so yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what, what I wish I knew. <laughs> You lasted longer at your first job than I did. Um, <laughs> but I think because it's so normalized in like the corporate field or the financial field that, you know, you're expected to leave a job after a couple mm. of years because that's the, maybe that's the the progression that you've made and that's the cap that's made on you. So you go to a different position, but it's not talked about in our field or in the medical field or you know, so nobody knows that and nobody tells you that. And I think it's such an important, I'm really grateful to be able to have that conversation with you and to be able to share that with people because 
there could be graduates this year who are going through the exact same thing. And because no one's told them, hey, just leave that job. Again, everyone's got their reasons, you know, for whatever mm. reason it is, if it's not working, it's okay for it not to work. And it's yeah. okay to distance yourself from that. I think it's also a very British thing to feel like you're tied into a contract now and you're kind of responsible for your principal's emotional well-being or like stress levels because it's going to be stressful if your employee or associate wants to leave because you have to go through the hiring process again and in my mind I was like oh I'm an awful person for putting this burden on someone who gave me a job like I'm horrible but you know you're doing them more of a disservice staying there and not having a good time with it than you know leaving and then finding the right person because um you, you don't want to be deceiving yourself and your boss it's never going to work out very well but no I think um I'm grateful for having the space to talk about it with you because it was something that I felt really uncomfortable talking about for a really long time and more recently a few friends of mine have left jobs you know they lasted maybe 10 months or 11 months um but it was happening around me and I was starting to realize okay it's not as taboo as I thought it's not just me and now we can talk about it and I don't feel like um my journey so far has been less successful if that makes sense yeah. cool. I mean you're employed you're teaching that's more than a lot of people for example who have graduated around the same time that you graduated can say and I think we have to be kind to ourselves because I kind of get the impression that you're very critical of yourself <laughs> you can be really harsh on yourself and so being able to just say hey that's okay mm. you know and one thing that I've learned is contracts are there for a reason right Yes. You, know, you have terms of conditions you have you know how long you give notice for things like that and everyone what I've learned and especially working in the in, in the institutions that I'm working in at the moment is everyone is replaceable like yeah. if you want to leave leave because they will find someone to replace you and that's okay like you said it might be someone who's a better fit for that job or who's going to bring something different that would work for that clinic or that institution and so yeah, I think especially for a lot of us, you know, especially for you, especially for New Year, like having gone through, you know, the pandemic and studying and I think you just got to do what makes you happy. And it sounds yeah. really like cliche or... You know. No, I know what you mean. I mean, I agree completely, but I have heard, you know, older people say, oh it's such a millennial problem to have you just want a work life balance and I'm like no I just want to be sane I just I just want to be functioning properly and be happy and you know there's this there's still this idea going around that you kind of have to hate your work in order for it to be considered work and it definitely in our field no it's a very rewarding job at times and I think yeah anyone who says that 
you're asking too much to you know to be happy is immediately as a red flag it's <laughs> a red flag so uh, but yeah again things you learn with time and communicating with other people um so yeah it's good to hear that you've had that experience as well for sure absolutely and you're supposed to have a work-life balance <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that should be expected yeah. like i i know i can't do 12 hour days it's just not who i am mm. and i'm very lucky in the nhs that you know you work sort of you do like nine to five and like i that that to me is what i can tolerate but i have friends who do 12 hour shifts in a clinic and i'm like good for you but i would be a puddle on the floor if i did that <laughs> exactly yeah so i I, I, I've so appreciated our time together, but I don't want to finish our conversation without asking you, you know, what makes you excited, whether it's inside or outside of the profession? You know, I found this the hardest question. I knew you were going to ask me about what I was excited about, and I took the longest time to think about it because... I almost, I don't know where the profession is going in a way. There's a lot of change that could potentially happen. And there's a huge difference in the people that have graduated recently compared to people who graduated 20 years ago. And our field is thankfully developing to be more evidence-based, which is fantastic. And I... I have high hopes for us to become better recognized within the public sphere in terms of being, you know, valid allied health professionals that you can go and um, almost get screened with essentially, because during the pandemic, people were so desperate or had had, you know, physio appointments vid on video call in the NHS and they weren't satisfied. And they came to the closest thing to that, which was an osteopath, which was a new experience for them. And I don't want to offend anyone by talking about this positive side to the pandemic, but this is a silver lining in a way, and it's in healthcare, which is great. Um, so I'm excited to see public awareness growing in terms of the knowledge and um, breadth of the knowledge that osteopaths have, because we do have quite an extensive level of training, which is why so many people leave, because it's so much more intense than you you think going into it. Um, so that's exciting, I think. And then in terms of outside, I don't really know. I think I, I left another job <laughs> a few months ago. And so now I'm solely working in one practice and doing the teaching and I have more time for creative endeavors and that's something that I'm very excited to pursue um yeah what about you oh, what am I excited like I've always strived and like I always strive for that work-life balance so similarly like when I'm not doing osteopathy I'm not doing osteopathy <laughs> you know like like you like I'd love to be able to get back to like a dance class um, yeah and just be able to move and move in a creative way and maybe not ballet because that was tough oh man yeah. <laughs> um, but something like a jazz or a contemporary class where you can just throw yourself and really like really feel the grit of it um yeah. I'd, able, I'd love to be able to do something like that soon um but yeah I think for me you know being able to do lots of different things that aren't strictly osteopathy like the teaching and 
and the Pilates on my side and things like that, that's what makes it varied enough for me that it creates this fluidity. Um, yeah. And maybe it's too much, but for now it's enough. Yeah, you'll find out if it's too much further down the line. At the moment, if it feels good, then just go with it. Exactly, exactly. I'm so thankful to be able to have you sit down with us because um, I think we've definitely covered things that I've been yearning to talk about. Um, oh, good. <laughs> and I think it's so important to be able to put that out and, and let other people know that they're not alone feeling the things that they're feeling. And it's so interesting, you know, to have your perspective because you would have graduated more recently than me and see how I can, you know, see some of my experience in you, but also how different your individual experience is to yourself. Definitely. No, thank you for, for having me on the podcast. It's been really cool. Yeah, and we'll have to have you back and we can do a whole other session and talk for a couple <laughs> of hours more, I'm sure. Um, Life so, is dramatic. I'm sure things will happen in the meantime that we can learn from. <laughs> it's like we're just writing the script. We've, you know, we've, we've done the first sort of act. We need like a plot twist now. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alex. I'll see you soon. <laughs>